Amen. I've entitled this, the message this morning, The Cost of Discipleship. You know, most Americans know the price of most everything, right? We're very conscious of price, especially in our culture where everything's tagged. Some of you have traveled in different countries where they don't put prices on. And if the price is on, it's sort of only a suggestion. And then you get into the dickering process. And that's some of the fun of it in some parts of the world, particularly third world countries, where you go in and, and they'll ask a price. And, and, and if you don't haggle with them, they think, what's the matter with you? That's part of the process. I can remember standing in some of the marketplaces of the Agoras in, uh, in Cairo or Jerusalem and other places and just haggling over uh, this scarf or that uh, piece of pottery or this or that. And you, and you end up feeling like you, uh, they're very good. They're very good. Don't think you're getting it for nothing. They know what the bottom line cost is, but uh, they get something, you get something, and, and both are happy uh, with that. Most Americans know the price of things. But uh, I'm afraid that not a lot of folks know the real cost. You know, the price and the cost are two different things. And I want to preach a message in these early messages of the year as we're dealing with a lot of fundamentals of the faith. You've noticed that. We've been touching on these, on the cost of discipleship. Now, let me say at the get-go, there's no such thing as, uh, as, as a Christian who is not a disciple. If you're a, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a learner of Jesus. The, the word disciple is the Greek word methetes. It means a follower, a learner, a student. Okay, it's not like this super group. I know there's a series of movies out now that they're the superhero movie, uh, movies from the, uh, from the old uh, comic, the DC comic books, all these. I keep thinking, what are they coming out with next? And so you may be sitting there thinking like, oh, a disciple, that's a Christian who's a notch above. Uh-uh, nope, nope, nope. Unless you follow me, you cannot be my disciple, Jesus said. All followers of Jesus are disciples. My burden as a pastor is that some of the sheep follow too far back. Hey, where are you back there? Where? Up, up, near the shepherd. Get up here. So we're all, okay, so don't, don't sit there saying, well, I'm not really a disciple, I'm a Christian yet, I'm, you know, I'm not like an elder or deacon. But no, if, you're, if you name the name of Jesus, you are a disciple. You are in the picture here. It's like a family picture. You know, you cut off some of the heads in there. Grandpa didn't get his head. No, you're in the picture here, and so am I, and there's a cost with that. Uh, and I'm, I'm just of the persuasion that many Christians and many of us give a precious little for Jesus, especially those of us here in the West who enjoy such abundant prosperity. It's amazing. Well, the cost of this. Phil Riken, one of my uh, pastor and now president, a great writer, um, wrote uh, and tells the story of NASA's failed attempt to land the, the Mars Polar Lander on the Red Planet in December 99. Some of you follow astronomy uh, better than others and will remember this. In NASA's attempt to do this, and it was a real budget, budgetary type thing to do it, and their motto was faster, better, cheaper, the lander failed to slow on its descent and slammed into the surface of Mars, breaking into a thousand pieces there on the surface. Later, after study, it was determined that the design flaw and the $165 million uh, 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 spacecraft uh, had caused the system to shut off too soon. A simple test could have revealed that this would happen 
and they could have detected it and corrected it, but it wasn't done. Why wasn't it done? Why? NASA sought to cut expenses, and the mission failed because they didn't adequately count the cost to finish the mission. I say all that to say this. This is a mistake Jesus wants to make sure that all of us as disciples are careful to avoid. So he tells us in advance. He tells us in advance how much it will cost us to follow him to the very end. Now, this is very, uh, very unlike the gospel that's usually presented. I mean, when we think of, we want, in our desire to want to see people make professions of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, usually we give the irreducible minimum, and we'll, we'll talk like, receive Jesus, try Jesus. I remember seeing a, a gospel uh, evangelistic program once that said, try Christ. Try Christ, it's like you're trying pepperoni pizza or something. You know, like it made it so easy, like you're just simply adding a piece of pizza to your life. Yes, I can try that. Yes, I can try Jesus. It's the, what Jesus is going to tell us here is the complete opposite. It's almost like uh, it's overwhelming in the cost so that you cannot be his disciple. And he wants us to know the cost. No wonder when the thousands of crowds were following, they were getting healed, and their, their stomachs were getting full, and he, here's the miracle worker. And now he starts talking this way. He, after he identified, as uh, Violet read, that he is going to suffer, he's going to be crucified, he's going to be buried, and then he's, and he turns to them, and he tells them, he says, that's my cost, that's the cross I'm going to bear, and you're going to bear a cross. No wonder the crowd started to thin out. Got pretty small, and so it got down to a point where Jesus said to the disciples at one point, "Are you too also going to leave?" Remember that? And Peter goes like, "Where, where do we go, Lord? You're the one who has the eternal life." Where, I mean, it got down pretty through. Few are many are called. Few many many hear the gospel, but few are called. And and they they hear the cost of what it really means to follow Jesus in these things called salvation, well, what is it? Well, he must be number one in your life. and We must be ready to renounce everything, everything to follow him. This is the only kind of disciple there is. That's it. After Jesus speaks of his own suffering and death and resurrection, he calls from us nothing less than total surrender of all that we are and all that we have. And so I ask the question, have, have you counted and are you counting the cost to follow Jesus? If you don't count the cost, and if you don't begin that way, you cannot be, Jesus said, one of my disciples. You cannot be. And so in this simple little passage by John Mark, the cost of the disciple is unfolded for us in, John, in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. And I'd like to pick it up if we would read down at verse 31 after the Lord has identified his cross and his, what he will suffer for us, <clears throat> uh, he begins uh, uh, to say in verse 34, and, call, and calling to the crowd, he's talking in general now, giving an invitation along with his 12 the disciples. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we discover here are two parts of Jesus' call to discipleship, urging you and urging me to count the cost. Count the cost. Get out your calculator and count the cost of what it truly means to be a follower 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, of what it means to be a Christian is what he's talking about. A follower, a disciple, a Christian are all one in the same. And the byline is, though salvation is free to us, and it is, and don't we love that? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, and we sing that. Don't we belt that out? We do. He paid it all. You don't add, it's not Jesus and me. We're not like some of our Arminian friends that's sort of like, Jesus saved me, but i got to hold on to keep it. No, he paid it all. He saves us. He holds us. It's free to us. It's not my righteousness plus the cross. It's none of that. I'm the problem. You're the problem. He provided the only way of escape. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Author of Hebrews says. It's free to us, and we sing that. Paid for by Jesus, but though it's free, it will cost you everything that you have. We see that even in James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Remember that? Jesus called them. They were, we think their father and their family were wealthy fishermen there in the Sea of Galilee. And the text says, and they left everything and followed Jesus. And there in the little snapshot is a reminder that Jesus paid it all, and it's free to us, salvation, but the Christian life will cost us everything. 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 And I love that Galatians 2.20 I, I pray, I think I pray this every day in my own life. You know this, this is a verse you should memorize. Because you know, if you have this verse down, you're free to go. Because this is all I'm going to uh, expand here in Mark's Gospel. Look at two, uh, Galatians 2.20. This is a, this on the short list of what you should memorize. I am, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Well, what's that mean? He's dead. He is dead. I am crucified with Christ. Yet, look at this. I'm still living. I'm living in the flesh. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live, in this, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. One other verse, and, I, and I'll say it very often in my own prayer time, is, is Philippians 1.20. For me, Paul said, to live is Christ. You see, salvation is free, Jesus is telling us. He paid it all. To Tetelestai, it is finished. You don't add to it. But if you begin on that road, Jesus is going to, uh, it's paid for. Come, come freely. Come and be saved. Receive the righteousness that saves. But it will cost you then all that you have. Your life, your talent, your time. Because you'll be dead to self and alive to me. That's the cost of discipleship. And that's what Jesus is going to say to us right here when he says the first uh, part is Jesus lays down the requirements necessary for you to be a Christian in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 34. He's going to say it negatively, then positively, and then in a continuance sense. He's going to lay down three imperatives here. The first is negative. Jesus commands us to decisively deny self. The demand for self-forgetfulness in verse 34. If anyone, if anyone, it's an invitation, it's universal, would come after me, be a follower, be a believer, be a disciple, let him first of all, what? Deny himself. It's negative. It's in the strongest possible words uh, in, the, in the Greek language. This means saying no to self-interest in the earthly securities. Isn't that amazing how... Uh, and we're so used to that, uh, the word in our computer age, the word default, right? What's your default printer? 
We have two printers at home. One is a heavy-duty one. If we're doing a lot of printing, I, we adjust it and from the one that's close and that's more expensive, and we do fewer printing on that, and that's our default. But then we'll change it to the other, the default, default. Isn't it interesting in our own life how we instantly default to self? With, with little thought. We just instantly think of what's in it for me. What about me? I could get hurt in it. I, I, I. Don't we do that? We just kind of default right to self. And I loathe that in myself. I see that. I smell it. It reeks of flesh. And it should be like that little thing. I think, Dottie, you wore it once. The word joy. Remember that joy? Yeah, I remember years ago. Well, I go, well, what is that? Well, I know what joy is. I love joy in the Christian life. It's a great fruit. But uh, Dottie was telling me, well, it means the priorities of life. What's that? Jesus for J, O for others, and Y for you. And that's you. I go, I never forgot that. Joy. And that's right. And that shouldn't be default for what's in it for me. Lord, I loathe that. Lord, I hate that. It should be Jesus first and only. For me to live is Christ. And so what, Paul is, or what Jesus is saying, it means saying no to selfish interest or earthly securities and not default to ourselves. It, this does not mean that we deny our unique personality. You know, some people misunderstand it. I just, I'm, just, I'm just a worm. No, you're not a worm. Yeah, I'm trying to deny myself. I'm a worm. Well, there's parts of you that smell, but you're not a worm. You're made in God's image. Male and female, isn't it great? It, 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 don't, don't do that. That's self-mortivate. That's craziness. That's not what he means by that. Um, nor does it mean, well, I guess I'm going to die as a martyr. Oh, it's worse going to get. No, some may. Some may. Some, God may have a few may die as a testimony for Jesus. Doesn't mean that. But uh, for, for by far in the majority of people, uh, nor does it mean to deny yourself things. Some think, well, I guess I have to be an aesthetic. I've got to swear off all things, go to a monastery, give it all away, and take a vow of poverty. It, no, no, that's craziness. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean. It just it means self should not be on the altar. You forget about yours. It's self-forgetfulness is, is what he's calling us to. Rather than turning away from the idolatry of, of self-centeredness and every attempt to orientate, or orient your life by the dictates of self-interest. It runs counterintuitive to the default. So how does this magnify Jesus? How does this advance the gospel in my life, my family, my church? How does this help others? Oh Lord, help us to think that way and convict us when we default to self. For it's the exact opposite of Jesus in God's uh, wonderful workings in men and women in the scriptures as I read it. It is the requirement to deny self. That is the mark of a disciple. The self-denial is not only the negative side of the picture, uh, it's only the negative, and it's not done for its own sake. Okay, We just don't deny to deny. But there's a positive side. And that is, letter B, it, it, this, uh, Jesus commands us here to decisive, decisively take up one's cross. So I deny myself. Now, that's negative. Positively, I'm going to take up my cross. Well, what in the world does that mean? It means saying yes to God's will and to God's way. It may mean the way of suffering, that we all suffer, just naming the name of Jesus to some extent, but it doesn't mean that our life might be extinguished 
for that, but it just simply means that doing it God's will and God's way, I say, yes, I yield myself unto the Lord. Look at uh, what's what Paul's calling us in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Another verse, special verses that should be very dear and near to your heart. And Paul, after explaining the gospel track in Romans, he comes to a question, what about the Jews in 9, 10, and 11? And after that, he moves into the immensely practical section of Romans 12 through 16. And he begins that in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, God's kindness to us in salvation. What? Present your bodies as living sacrifice. That's death itself holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship or spiritual worship, and stop being conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by testing. You may discern what is the will of God and what it is good and acceptable, and it is perfect. So we take up the cross. Just as Jesus took up his cross and submitted to the Father's will, so God has a specific will for each one of us. Some are wrong. In some, in some cultures, you'll see, particularly as we move into the Easter time and then the passion and the suffering of the Lord, you'll see in some cultures where people actually carry the cross, and they're actually carrying it, and then they allow themselves to be hung on the cross and, and to be uh, abused uh, by in, in, in entering into this passion of Jesus. That's, that's not what he is calling us to do, to take up the cross. That was the Father's cross for Jesus. That was the Father's will for Jesus before, the, be, be, before, before time began. But it means that what God's will is for you and for I, for me, is, is that he has a specific will, and we're to take up his cross in our life, and, uh, and, and by caring it simply meant means that we're submissive uh, to the revealed will of God. I have on your sheet, in that day, a condemned person, uh, as we know, was required to carry his own cross. Now, when they carried the cross in the Roman, they didn't carry the whole thing. Sometimes you'll see them dragging the whole thing. That's not true. The, the uh, upright bar was pretty much in place in a hole in the ground. They carried the cross member. They would have to carry. That's probably what Jesus began to carry as he made his way through the city of Jerusalem out to Mount Calvary. Okay, it was probably just the crossbeam, and then uh, he got help in, in carrying that. And part of that reason that the Romans required that was it uh, publicly revealed submission to the will of the authority of Rome. At one point, they were a rebel, a criminal, and they were found guilty, and they were uh, condemned to die. Uh, they just didn't whisk them off into some quiet room and execute the person. They wanted to show everybody far and wide that this person had to bend the knee and was submissive ultimately and finally to Rome. And they did that by carrying the cross out to the place of execution. And that's, that's why they did And so when you and I positively take up our cross, it means that we willfully embrace God's will for us no matter what may befall us. The ups and the downs and the in-between, and we take it as of the Lord, that he is sovereign. He's weaving in like a tapestry the things of our life together, knowing that all things work together for the good. And so I take that as from the Lord, and I trust him dearly for it. It means that we as followers of Christ will accept whatever God sends our way. Well, that's positively. Negatively, deny ourselves. Oh, Lord, help me. Positive, Lord, I'll embrace your will what you have for me. And that will be more than wonderful. 
and then C, it's a, it's a present tense command. We're to do this every day of our life forward. He commands us to follow him by saying no to self, yes to God, and every day hereafter. Many of us know Chariots of Fire, the, uh, the story and then the song and all that of Eric Little, the Scotsman who, uh, who won the Olympic gold medal. Amazing. He didn't want to run on the Lord's Day and compete, so at the last moment was allowed to change into another event of which he won. Well, he was a Presbyterian from Scotland, and his family had been missionaries in China, and uh, he had made a decision to serve the Lord in China even prior to this. And, uh, and, and Eric, it's a tremendous story and a wonderful thing. And, uh, and when he came, he won the gold medal, and he was uh, tempted uh, to some degree to stay in Scotland and be a great hero and all that. But he uh, followed through on his commitment for the Lord's will. And he, he, uh, the day came when he finally boarded the train uh, to begin the long journey to go to China, incidentally, where he would die. He would die in prison uh, there in, in mainland China uh, a number of years later. Uh, but uh, I always remember on the back of the train, as uh, the folks gathered around, as he was getting ready to uh, leave the train there in Scotland, on the back of the train, as Eric Little was waving goodbye to his family and to his dear friends and church folks, uh, the sign said, the world for Christ and Christ for the world. There's a man that was embracing uh, the cross of Christ and in his life. But that's what God wants each one of us to do. He wants you to do that as well. He wants you and I to do that every day, to say no to self. Yes to you, Lord, whatever thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of the Lord's Prayer. We saw that recently. And it's not a one and done. We began this way back here. But it's something we do every single day. We bow the knee. I get on my, by my chair and I, every day I begin, Our Father, our heart in heaven, Lord, today is the day you've made. Thank you that I, I can enjoy your sunshine and uh, you have a specific assignment for me today. And uh, they may be interruptions, I may think, but they're really your appointments. So I embrace that, Lord. It's from you. So thank you for your will. Give me the strength to do what you command me to do, and may I do it unto you. And uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I mean, years ago, uh, I was challenged with a thought, and for me, it meant a certain direction. And uh, I would not be here today if, if God hadn't soft my heart and brought us to the point of carrying us forward. Being uh, raised in Buffalo, New York, in a family business and the heir apparent kind of thing. Uh, the, the challenge to me, and God used that, well, I heard a pastor say, do you want to spend your life or do you want to invest your life? And to, to me, it meant uh, God, it was part of God's call into the pastoral ministry. Well, I can spend my life and use it up kind of for self and, and whatever and all that that entails. And that's not just for pastors, it's for everyone, really. God gives us all gifts and abilities, and whatever we do is, is service to the Lord, the ministry is not a better work. We all have different works. And whatever we do, we do unto the Lord, and it's a worship unto him. But for me, it meant that I needed to go and prepare for pastoral ministry and studies because I was so burdened with the thought I wanted to invest my life fully in the ministry of the gospel of Christ, shepherding people, teaching the word, impressing the gospel, making disciples. And in Faithy and I, even our wedding, uh, I've mentioned that to you before, our wedding as it turns out, and I often think back, it was like a worship service. There in Philadelphia, we knelt under an arbor my father had made, 
and we, uh, we drove it to Philadelphia and uh, it was painted white and had flowers all the way through in the front of her church at Bethel. We knelt there and uh, different songs were our, our, the, our, the words prayer. But then uh, we changed the words to here's my life, I lay it on the altar, here's my life. Not for self to hold it, but for faithful service mold it. And we changed it from I to we, here's our life. We, and we knelt there uh, as a part of our very wedding and gave ourselves to the Lord for whatever the Lord did. And I'm here to say to you that it's been an incredible journey. I could not have seen the twists and the turns and in all of it, really, all of it's been such a joy. I wish I could say I never sinned, but I sin daily. I'm sorry to tell you that. You know, but God cleanses me and washes me and picks me up and encourages us. And it's a journey to say, Lord, I give myself to you. I'm the doulos. We're the douloi, the bondservants of Jesus Christ. I give my life away. To live is to give. To give is to live. And that's what I want to do increasingly as the days go on. Continuously. So negatively, stop living for self. Oh, God, I hate that. It reeks. Let me give. Positively, take up the cross. Embrace God's will for your life. Be serious and intentional about it. You can't sort of just sort of do it. You've got to be all in or all out. You can't sit on the fence. You ever sit on a fence? When I was a boy, we used to jump neighbor's fences. I learned there's some fences you don't want to get hung up on. Yes, that's right. You got to get this side or that side and make a clean movement to do that. And a lot of Christians end up sitting on the fence or in and out. Get in, get in, get in. Embrace the will of God. Take up the cross. Follow him, no matter what it entails. And you'll be blessed that you do that. And, the, and taking up our cross, can I say, it's not the little expression people say, oh, we bear our crosses, Okay the little annoyances and sufferings of life. That's not what that means, okay? That's really not what that means. And like, oh, we all bear our cross. And it's not like I got to take the cross of Christ. No, that was his cross. But we embrace the will of God publicly. We were once rebellious against the authority of heaven, but now as we embrace the cross, it shows everywhere publicly that now we're submissive to the Lord. And we follow him, and we do that every single day of our life. Now, I, I want you to look at Philippians 3. I want you to see the words of Paul. I mean, he's an amazing guy. And uh, what, what, a, what a righteous man he was as a Pharisee in Philippians 3, 7. Philippians 3, 7 through 11, he gives this, uh, he gives this mindset going forward as he embraces the will of God for him uh, and taking up the cross in Philippians 3, 7, but whatever gain I had, Paul said, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for this sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung. Actually, it's the word dung. He's rubbish in the ESV. Uh, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's talking about the gift of right. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Now, wonderful mindset. We must be willing to do anything, give up anything and everything for Jesus. Everything. Well, Jesus lays down the requirements in verse 34. In verses 35, 6, 7, and 8, 
the second part of Jesus' call to discipleship, Jesus explains his requirements demanding your total allegiance. He's going to explain it now to fill the picture out. You know, you get a picture and you go like, I wish I would fill out a little bit more so I could see that completely and they get the full perspective. This is exactly what he does in these next four verses. And if you have an ESV, you'll notice uh, the, uh, the explanation, uh, using the explanatory word for, uh, he begins these sentences with four. You see that verse 35 says four. Verse 36 begins four. 37 uh, uh, begins with four and 38. There are four parallel statements filling in the picture of what it means to be a disciple. He explains that the requirements demand your total allegiance to Jesus. He explains these for, these are the requirements for entrance into discipleship, leaving one's former allegiance, that is, to the world and to self. And these are some well-known statements of Jesus. Sometimes you'll hear him quote at verse 35. Jesus uh, said, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Consider if you refuse Christ now by living for self, these are Jesus' words talking to the crowd now, calling them to follow him, but can count the cost. And, and he says, and if you refuse to do so by living for self, you will lose the gift of eternal life that is to be enjoyed with Jesus in heaven forever. One who accepts this requirement will actually preserve his life forever. You give it away to get it back. Now that's not bad. We give our life to Jesus and we get it back forever and ever and ever and ever. And the second, in verse, uh, uh, the second consideration B is if you, if you could gain the whole world, all the stuff and all the pleasures of the world, imagine that in a hypothetical sense. You have it all. I mean, you played Monopoly and you cleaned out everybody. You got it all. You're just, just there sweating away and you say, man, oh man, oh man, right? You got it all. Think of Solomon, and, and we're studying that as the men on Wednesday night. Think of that. You got it all. What about that? You got all of that, and yet you lost your own soul. Lose your what? Such a trade, Jesus said, verse 3, would be a tragic investment. Terrible investment. For what is our life? Now think about it. Well, how, how brief is our life? It's going, going, and almost gone, and the little bit of stuff that we pile up, in the book that we looked at a number of years ago, and it all goes into the box after, right? The game's over, money goes away, and it spreads out. And the ants come and carry it away. A thousand directions, right? And after a little bit, don't even know. If you gained all of that for that brief period of time, right, and refusing to, to receive Christ as Savior and to be a disciple, Jesus said that's a horrible trade. Now, some people in the stock market, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll get some hot tips. You know, and they'll, they'll put the family farm up or something on some sort of uh, penny stock that's going to fly through the moon, right? We're going to get rich. <laughs> and uh, it turns out to be a terrible trade. And they lost it, lost it all. I've heard that story repeatedly. You know, and the, 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 uh, the dot-com bust in the, in the new millennial and then in 08, 09 when the market dropped uh, incredibly and people, people actually start jumping out of buildings again. That's 
crazy. That's a lose-lose, right? But uh, even that pizza place. What's that pizza place that went? Sabera's. I read Sabera's Pizza went, claimed bankruptcy. Did you hear that on Friday? Some of you didn't eat enough of their pizza or something. So, like, I invested in there. I, I tried to eat their pizza. They, I guess they put a lot of money into the malls and things. And then when the mall traffic reduced with the economy dipping, people weren't walking by the mall pizzerias and weren't getting the pizzas. And uh, Sabero, which used to make a nice slice of pizza, if I remember. Uh, some of you like it. Some of you are getting hungry by me saying that. I can tell. You say, that's... <laughs> That's a bad investment. That's all upside down now. Oh, man. Jesus said you gain all the pleasure. Now, all the pleasures in the world. Do you think of that? All the I mean, Donald Trump to the 10th degree, right? I think Donald thinks he's there anyway. Take all of Donald has, but if you reject Christ all the way through your life. Bill Gates or some of these others, right? You have all of that. What kind of a trade is that? What kind of, what, I mean, that's a terrible investment. The Lord is saying, it compared to forever in the glory and the splendor of heaven. Jesus is telling us that you cannot compare heaven with the best that our world might have to offer. Hey, listen, he's the only one that could really tell us this. You know, you want an insider tip. You're like, I want, I really, E.F. Hutton really knows. I mean, he's, he made it. He came from there. He goes like, mm, not a good, mm, no, I wouldn't do that. No. He's the only one that could tell us. Don't do that. Don't live here and now as if that's all there is. Salvation is free. It's paid for by me, but it's going to cost you your life and everything you have. Everything. In third, four, and he says in verse 37, for if, uh, what, uh, what could you, what would you, if you could, what would you trade for your soul? And it's rhetorical, of course. You know, nothing. Sometimes you'll see these movies or read books where, where you, uh, you make a pact with the devil, Right? Uh, wasn't that part of the damn Yankees, was it? Yeah, yeah, some of you love the Yankees and don't like that book, but something about that. I, I remember years and years ago about that, where you make a pact with the devil and this and that, and then, and then your life goes and then the devil comes to collect your soul, right? What would you get? What would you trade your soul for? I mean, what? Because having gained the entire world, uh, you have in the end irrevocably lost eternal life with God with nothing to be compensated for it, Terrible. Terrible. It's like Jesus goes like the balance beam, right? Some of the balance beam. Let's weigh your soul, you know, versus the... What would you give? What would you give for it? Nothing. Your soul lives forever. People live forever in heaven or in the lake of fire. And the last, and indeed, consider if you're ashamed to own Christ as your Savior today. Verse 38. That means to deny him. Then at the future judgment, Jesus will deny ever knowing you. Uh, he said it in another place, in, in, Mark's, in Matthew 7, uh, and in that day, I will say unto them, depart from me, I never knew you. Never knew. Uh, it's amazing for an omniscient God to say, I never knew you. Of course, uh, it's new in a redemptive sense. He's in a familiar family sense. Uh, is, is how he means that. Depart from me. I never 
knew you. Jesus, to be, listen, to be ashamed of Jesus is to reject him. That's what that means. So it doesn't mean that you were coward and didn't stand up and share a testimony for Jesus. And we all battle that, and we've all failed that at times. We thought later, oh, I should have spoke up for the Lord, and I missed that on that. Oh, I, I and, 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 and may God give us strength, strength and wisdom and to intentionally witness and bridge and, and bear witness for Jesus in, in all those settings. They're hard, and a lot of times we fail in them, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about ultimately and finally to be ashamed of Jesus means not, I won't have him. That's what it means. And so in the judgment, and the judgment will come. Jesus saying, I will be ashamed and I will not own them. I will not claim them as my own. To be ashamed of Jesus is to reject him and to retain allegiance to this old world. In the future, Jesus will refuse to claim you as his own. You'll be lost forever. I remember when I was a little boy, my father... Um, did this thing one time, really shook me. It's funny that I remember it. It's a muscle. I must have been yay high, right? And uh, my father and a bunch of neighborhood kids were there, and my father was like, well, who's, whose boy are you? He said, well, I'm yours, Dad. Well, I don't think so. I said, Dad, Dad, no, it's me. I'm, I'm your, you know, like he, he played this game, went on for a little bit like this. Thing, like. And then finally he said, Oh, yes, I right. Oh, yes. How could I be? He, he hugged me, you know, like that. I remember thinking he was going to claim me as his own, you know, like I'm lost. How much worse in that judgment when Jesus said, how about it when he goes away? Yes. That's what he's talking about. Jesus says, consider the cost of discipleship. Every disciple of Jesus must relinquish all his possessions, not merely money. Yet our money, our checkbook is all Jesus's. Our material things, they're not ours. The earth is the Lord's and the full. Everything is his, right? Everything, our next heartbeat, our breath, our talents, our abilities, our opportunity, that we should be born in a land of opportunity like this, that we can freely assemble, not hide to have a church gathered. It's amazing grace. But all these, but also uh, our dear ones belong to the Lord. Everything that your heart clings to belongs to the Lord. Yes, we're to give even our own life, our desires, our plans, our ideas, our interests. All of these are the Lord's. All of these. For we uh, are the Lord's. Well, what can we say? What difference should this make in your life? What difference? What's the so what here? Number one, make sure that you count the cost of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. It's not like simply adding something to your life. Yes, I'll add Jesus to it too. No, you cannot be my disciple unless you deny yourself and take up the cross. That's the will of God. And do that every day of your life as a living sacrifice. Wow. It's paid for. It's going to cost you everything. But you'll never regret it. He paid for your sins. He provided you with a righteousness that saves. He demands your life and everything you have. He is Lord. Listen, if he is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. That little expression. And some of you know that very well. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. It's true in your life and it's true in my life. Your checkbook your date calendar, your appointments, your abilities, every asset, all that you have, every moment of every day 
is his and under his lordship. Number two, God is not asking us to carry Jesus' cross. He did that. Thank you, Lord. That's finished. If you follow Christ and know that his plan for you will be your cross to bear for him, your submission to his will. Whatever he brings into your life is yours to carry by his grace and without complaint, and he'll give you the grace to do that, to intentionally live for Jesus in this making of disciples. Number three, practice a life of self-forgetfulness. Jesus did that. He did that exactly. And that's what he's doing in your heart and life through the gospel. Not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not a story about you. It's not about me. Your life should not be about you, and if you know the Lord Jesus, it should be all about Jesus. That's what God is doing in your life. It's not you plus him. Number four, how great it is for us when we lose our life. We give it to Jesus daily. What a trade-off. One that everyone should welcome. Where we get, it, we get life eternal and all the joy and the fullness and the wealth that that could possibly mean. And we can't even begin to understand what that means. But Jesus told us that is a good trade. And finally, fifth and last, come to, I invite you to come to the Lord Jesus today. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ the Savior from sin. Invite you to receive him as your Lord in the quietness of your heart. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinful man or woman. I receive you as my God. I've heard the cost of discipleship, and I come just as I am. It will cost you everything to come, but oh, it will be, oh, it will be so worth it. God is calling through this invitation, wondering if you would like to come now and come to know Christ the Lord as Savior. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for your wonderful word. And thank you, Lord, for the clarity of it. And the call to discipleship and the cost of discipleship. Lord, let us be intentional and clear in our thinking. And give ourselves daily to you. To be Christ to all that we know. Forgive us from selfish default. that robs us, Lord, of the joy of living... um, a living sacrifice type of life. We ask that you would cause us to be soldiers of the cross of Christ as we go into a world that desperately needs Jesus. And we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, I have, uh, you have in your bulletin the words to Isaac Watts's, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? I'd like us to just close our service by singing this. Let's stand and and sing, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Martha's going to play on the piano. We appreciate that. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or Blush to speak his name. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? 
while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas. Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Father, we ask your blessing now as we go into another week, and we ask that you would go before us, make us a blessing to all that we should meet, until may we rejoice until we meet back again, and we'll thank you for these things. In Christ's name, amen. You may be dismissed. God bless you.